Dear listeners, you are tuned into WOWD 94.3 FM, and this is Interfaith-ish. I am your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday, one hour at a time, right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. This morning, we're going to be talking about interfaith organizing with a couple of dynamic friends who have traveled here from a faraway land called Northern Virginia. This morning, I'm joined in the studio by Miss Jacqueline Fuller, an omnipresent force on the interfaith scene and the host of the TV show, Interfaith Connections. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning, Jack. And happy birthday to you. We just found out it's your birthday. And we're also joined this morning by Reverend Allison Dunn Almaguer of the Washington Interfaith Network. Good morning to you, Allison. Good morning, Jack. Thank you both for being here and getting into some interfaith-ish with us. Dear listeners, before we start our show today, I want to acknowledge that our DC community has lost a great leader recently. I heard yesterday that Reverend Clark Lobenstein, the founding director of the Interfaith Conference of Metropolitan Washington, passed away on Monday morning. Reverend Lobenstein was a tireless interfaith bridge builder and for 30 years was at the helm of the trailblazing Interfaith Conference of Metropolitan Washington, uh, which brings together 11 historic faith traditions here in the D.C. area. I was honored to be able to serve as a board member with Clark during the um, last few years of his time with the IFC uh, before retirement, and he was an inspiring example for me as I forged my own path in this work as an interfaith activist. Clark always had an encouraging word and a wonderful smile, and he will be truly missed. Uh, if you have remembrances that you'd like to share about Clark Lobenstein, please email them to interfaithish at gmail.com. I'm hoping that we can do a feature to honor this great man very soon. If you're just joining us, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We're talking this morning with two terrific guests, Miss Jacqueline Fuller, who some of you may know as the host of the local TV show Interfaith Connections, and Reverend Allison Dunn Almaguer of the Washington Interfaith Network. Jackie, let's start with you. You've been involved in the interfaith scene for quite a number of years, so I'm curious if you have any reflections of uh, Reverend Lobenstein. Um, sure, actually, yes I, yes, I do. I had the opportunity to meet him through the IFC. Um, after actually graduating from college, I have been trying to connect with um, communities doing interfaith work, and naturally, um, that was a good fit. So um, I've been involved in a lot of the volunteering um, with the organization over the years and participating as well with the Unity Walk and the annual concert that's coming up next month as well as um, interviewing him for my television program to um, share the perspectives of what the IFC is and what it's doing in the community and how is it going forward. Yeah, and were your impressions of him similar to mine? You always seem to have this, this warm spirit, oh, particularly with young people. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I admired the most about him was the fact that you, that young adult presence is very key, um, definitely encouraging the next generation to step up and 
you know, become leaders in this space, which is so um, needed right now, and especially right now. So, yeah. yeah, it's very, I'm very sad to hear about his passing. Well, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, you and I actually met um, in 2012 at the very first uh, DC Interfaith Leadership Summit, uh, which came out of the work that I mentioned earlier with Clark. Um, so uh, tell, me, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with Interfaith Bridge Building yourself. Uh, well, I feel like it was always my life. I mean, I come from pretty much an interfaith family. We have um, Christian, Muslim, Baha'i um, family members. So it was always a part of my life, which also became a reflection of the type of friends I attracted into my life. And in college, when I was a communications intern with the Interfaith Alliance. Oh, so it was okay. always just been around me. And I said, I think this is my calling. And usually you're in college, you're trying to figure out who you are and where you're going professionally, but it seemed like I was always attracted into the um, faith-based space dealing with um, different religions. Right. So right. I cool. just took it forward from there. And you, um, you, you said you have this interfaith family background. So tell us a little bit about that because you've you uh, currently are with this this community called Unity, mm -hmm. and I want to hear a little bit about how that family background informed uh, your current formation as you are now. Well, it was, just, it was just very interesting just seeing, like, and it's, it's kind of just popped up out of the blue. You have conversations with people, and then you find out, like, through family, it's like, oh, yeah, I go to this Baha'i, local Baha'i temple or community. And it's just like, well, what sparked you to decide to um, participate in this particular tradition? But it's still like family, so it's kind of, you still have, like, the jokes and the kidding uh -huh. around and doing all types of family things. And then it's just out of the blue. It's like when we got on the conversation of faith, that's when I start to find out, like, oh, you have a cousin here who's practicing this, and you have a cousin here that's practicing that, and huh. this person changed religions years ago. So All coming out at the yeah, family reunion. Right. <laughs> so, But it was always informal versus, like, maybe when you're in an academia setting mm -hmm. where it's very structured and... You know, everybody has like their five minutes of time versus like family, even, you know, you acknowledge that there's differences in their beliefs, but, you know, everybody's still like hanging out and chilling and just being who they are. Mm -hmm. And so t you yourself um, are now a, uh, a member of Unity. Right. And tell us about what is what is Unity? Is it a is it a church? Is it a spiritual tradition? What would you? Um, this is my interpretation of Unity, just based on what I've learned over the years. It's pretty much um, is rooted a lot in the Christian faith. I would definitely say um, the history of it is a lot of it's rooted in Christian science. Um, there's also a lot of um, practice of practices within the Eastern tradition. So you have that involved. Um, metaphysics is um, really popular. Um, that's also a foundation of unity, but it's still like rooted in Christianity in a sense where you will go to a service, the Bible is still used, they have songs, it's pretty much similar. The form to and ritual, rituals. that sort of it's, thing. Um, mm -hmm. Is pretty much still Christian, which I think attracts a lot of people who may not have the best experiences, maybe coming from a Christian community, they still have that familiarity because of the culture in unity. But it's a place where you can bring people of different faiths. You may hear messages coming from other faith traditions where I think unity has been good in creating that safe space to do that mm. with the Christian kind of like culture to it. And is it is it right to say, is unity the full name or do you say unity church or what, um, what would you say? It's always been historically, I've seen it as unity church or unity school or Christianity. That's also been used mm. in the past. I know lately there's been a movement with some of the communities to move away from their church title or reference in a lot of the um, 
communities. Some places want to call themselves spiritual centers. Some places just drop the term at all. And they may just say like Unity of Fairfax is what, where I go. We used to be referenced as Unity of Fairfax Church, and now they dropped the church, and now it's just Unity of Fairfax. Mm. So I think because there's a lot of independence also within the Unity communities, it's more like it's the choice of the people who attend those places. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So would it be right to say that uh, Unity is a part of the New Age movement? Is it Not exactly. There's some pushback with that. Mm -hmm. um, there's a difference between, well, Unity is more in what's known in the movement called New Thought. New thought. Which focuses a lot on, again, the mesh of um, the Western and Eastern philosophies. Um, new thought is my interpretation from it, from what I've seen, is a lot of positive affirmation, making sure like the way you think and behave matches. So if you're taught in a community to have, you know, read positive affirmations, use positive affirmations, your life should also reflect that. Mm. So it's a very mind-focus-based religion, mm -hmm. if I can say that. And it's been around for quite a while, right? It's about yeah. 100 years or yeah, so, right? Yeah, over 100 years. Yeah. And um, they also have like a silent unity ministry where people can call 24 hours a day if they need prayer. Mm. Um, one thing that they're very well known for is their publication called The Daily Word. And that has been issued out, I guess, th that's also been over 100 years. So mm -hmm. these type of ministries have been involved for a long time, which I wouldn't be surprised if more people knew about Daily Word than the Unity Church mm. itself. Because more people have had, it's the access of information, and that seems to be the most referenced um, item people have known about Unity. I don't think a lot of people even know that's a Unity publication, but it's been around for a long time. Dear listeners, if you're just joining us, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We're talking today with Jackie Fuller of Unity of Fairfax. My other guest today is Reverend Allison dunn Almaguer. Allison, in contrast to our first guest, Jackie, um, you're part of a more traditional Christian church, which is Baptist, right? Yes. So uh, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your religious formation was like. Yeah, absolutely. So unlike Jackie, my religious formation was not interfaith. I grew up in Texas um, as a Southern Baptist. Mm. So my family has been Southern Baptist uh, in that tradition for about five generations on each side. Mm -hmm. And in Texas, five generations on each side. Okay. Uh, so very kind of black and white theological systems. Um, very deep much roots. Deep roots, yes. Uh, around... Um, you know, religious liberty, though, is a big piece and a big tenet that people should be able to believe what they want to believe. And I was taught that, you know, from birth um, and that we respect all. Um, but I really began to question that upbringing when I felt a call to ministry at a young age. And in the Southern Baptist tradition, they do not ordain women. Mm. Um, so I began really pushing back um, from that perspective and also from the way I grew up. So my family moved to Dallas when I was young. Um, and if you're familiar with Dallas, it's a pretty interesting city compared to the rest of Texas. It's a second highest refugee relocation city in the U.S., so really diverse. And grew up in public schools there that were falling apart, really underfunded, you know, textbooks that didn't have covers and metal detectors every day of my life, and really began to question why the church didn't engage with uh, what was going on there. Um, and that was kind of the source of my discontent. Mm. Um, you know, personally, there was a, a young boy who was fatally killed right outside of our school, uh, when I was 13. And I remember going to my pastor and asking, what do we do? And he looked at me and he said, Allison, we, we pray. Mm. And at that point I was like, and then, you know, and then what's next? 
Um, and I'm not sure there was the capacity to, to know what to do next. So it was from then when I really began to start in, you know, researching and learning more about interfaith, um, and trying to figure out what other traditions, uh, you know, did, uh, in the community and how they actually responded to the crises that were happening all around them, especially in urban centers. Mm. And so you, you said you were called to ministry at a, at a young age, but was that the catalyzing moment for that? Was that your path from that, from that moment on? You know, um, I feel like it's much like what Anne Lamott says when she says ministry kind of stalked her like a cat. Um, <laughs> I definitely in college left the church and decided, well, if, you know, the Baptist tradition and the Christian tradition were not doing things that, um, and, you know, connecting in communities that I thought it needed to, that I, I left, um, but really had some great professors and mentors who said, no, look, here is some, here are some Christians and some Muslims and some Jewish people and, and who are actually doing great work. Um, so it was at the, probably toward the end of college where I began um, reading about, you know, feminist theology, queer theology, and uh, liberation theology and started seeing that, yeah, people of faith have been doing a lot of great work for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, it just wasn't in the narrative that I grew up in. Hmm. Um, so my last year, uh, I decided to go to seminary um, at Duke Divinity because there is a program based on uh, critical race theory. So Okay. And so at this point, have you um, come back to to being to to claiming that that um, uh, Baptist identity for yourself yes mm -hmm. and I will say that is a very um, it's a word that you know means different things to a ton of people so I maintained um, the Baptist tradition um, but ordained in a different uh, denomination than oh, okay. I grew up in so what what denomination cooperative Baptist fellowship okay so what's the difference there? Um, so the difference there is that they do ordain women, um, and that I'm also aligned with something called the Alliance of Baptists, which ordains LGBTQ and women. Okay. Um, and that's something that's very important to me, and why my spouse and I actually moved up here is for a congregation that you know, fit our values that way um, about four and a half years ago. Great. So you're up here in D.C. now, and you're working as an organizer with WIN, the Washington Interfaith Network. So tell our dear listeners a little bit about, about WIN. Absolutely. So I've been with WIN for about three years. The Washington Interfaith Network comes from a history of organizing for the past 75 years, the Industrial Areas Foundation, uh, which is a national organizing movement that really came out of unions. Um, so that history is, is kind of important because it teach, it's the overall national affiliations. Um, there are 70 organizations across the nation, also in London and in Australia hmm. and Rome. Um, and and Berlin. And so the work in Wynn is an affiliate of Industrial Harris Foundation has been in here in DC for 20 years. And the goal is to build grassroots power uh, for local communities and in local communities to be able to make change. Mm -hmm. um, and and what are some of the issues then the um, the current issues that the religious communities here in DC are, are working on together through Wynn? Yeah, so we have, you know, 38 congregations that have been involved, also nonprofits and unions, so secular groups as well, um, and been mainly working on housing for the past 20 years. You know, you've seen um, the city completely change, um, and that entire time housing has been something that has come from the ground up that is really important. So we, you know, fight to preserve housing, fight to, <clears throat> excuse me, build public land, use public land for housing. Um, and also organize um, for rehabilitation and other things like that. Mm. Um, but besides housing, a big jobs campaign. So here in D.C., we have, you know, um, 
one of the highest black unemployment rates, actually the highest in the nation or second highest in the nation right now. So really working from that, working with ATU, so the Amalgamated Transit Union, and WIN have worked together for the past three years around organizing privatized workers here in D.C., so streetcar, circulator. People, um, you know, often look at them and think they work for the district, mm. um, even though they have a DDOT badge. They mm -hmm. don't, right? They're mm -hmm. owned by, you know, an, uh, working for a private company, multinational company in Scotland. Um, and then the third piece is really around immigrant rights, um, so organizing our communities of majority uh, Latino immigrants and uh, mainly in our Catholic congregations around TPS and around increasing the immigration funds uh, here locally in the district. Mm -hmm. If you're just joining us, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We're talking with Reverend Allison Dunn-Almaguer of the Washington Interfaith Network. So you were just uh, describing a bit about the issues that, that uh, Wynn works on. So what is what is the faith dimension or the religious dimension that Wynn works with these communities? Yeah, so I think the religious dimension is multifaceted, but really it's recognizing that people of faith have institutions. So we do not organize individuals, we organize institutions. And the reason we do that is there's more power there, right? People are already organized and already um, in many ways have values of connecting with others and working towards social change. Um, so the interfaith component is we gather our, our clergy together uh, monthly, um, have reflections from um, each of our different traditions. You know, recently we had um, Masjid Muhammad, who's been a member for a long time, and um, uh, Imam Sharif shared something um, from his tradition on Malcolm X. And, you know, getting to have those conversations, but most importantly, it's developing relationships of action. Um, and being able to say we may not agree theologically on things, but we can all agree that people do not need to be homeless on our street and people do not need to be displaced from the city. Mm -hmm. My other guest this morning, uh, Jackie Fuller, uh, in addition to hosting her own interfaith talk show, is a, also a reporter with the Washington, uh, the Washington Informer and national vice president with the Religion Communicators Council. So I'm, I'm curious, Jackie, a, a, a constant challenge that interfaith groups seem to face is that while we hear about religious conflict in the news often, um, we rarely hear about these cooperative efforts, some of the things that Allison is talking about. Um, and in the spaces that you find yourself with other religion-focused media professionals, um, do you find that this this holds true? Is this is this a trend? Why why is it so hard to get out stories about people working together? Well, I guess first thing is the whole journalism concept. Like I learned in journalism one one, if it bleeds, it leads, and that still holds true. So that's why in most cases you will see about. Um, unfortunately, the negative news that's put out there. One good thing I do like about the Washington Informer is that it does encourage um, positive stories to um, that's covered in the community, which also was one of the reasons that attracted me into the opportunity to be a contributing writer with them, because I said this was a good opportunity to not only bring my knowledge and skills, but I can tell the story from the perspectives that I've experienced not only here in um, the local community, but in other spaces around the country. And I think it was, has been very helpful so far to um, highlight that, which I've, um, I was at the Unity Walk on Sunday, and I'm working on a story about that now. And I have been covering other areas in the community where the faith community has been engaged in doing great work, especially around mental health mm -hmm. and HIV awareness. So that's, I always feel that you have to look for those type of stories. Mm -hmm. And with the power of the pen, or now our computers, we should also write to our editors and let them know you want to see that type of coverage. 
Mm-hmm. Great. Allison, um, do you find that it's a struggle to get the word out about the Washington uh, Interfaith Network's efforts, or is it different because the conversation is is led sort of by, again, these social issues that uh, are already in the news, housing and, and jobs and so forth? That's a great question. I feel like, um, Jackie, I've never heard that, so that's interesting. If it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of time the positive work is not, you know, people want to see a controversy. Um, and, and so the positive work around the housing that has been built around, you know, for example, the Temple Courts campaign that we've been working on um, is working with residents who have been um, displaced 10 years ago in northwest one area of D.C. Um, and, the, and we just got the agreement for, you know, 518 uh, affordable units built on an empty parking lot across from NPR. Hmm. You know, it was covered in one small article, um, but it's not something that it's a win. It's a victory. It's been 10 years since residents have been waiting to get back who've organized in that community alongside of Wynn and other um, institutions in the neighborhood. So Holy Redeemer and Mount Lebanon Baptist. And it's hard. It is hard to get that covered sometimes. Um, but we do have um, good relationships with uh, with media, and when there are re- things that we really need to get out around transit, for example, we have been able to. Um, but it's and it's definitely easier within our congregations um, mm-hmm. to share the word. But beyond that, it it definitely takes a lot of effort, you know, and, and strategic work to do mm-hmm. that. Ironic, since NPR is right there. Hopefully, they've <laughs> given you some coverage because they could look right out the window and right. See, right. see that effort happening right across the street. Um, Jackie, you said that you were at the uh, Unity Walk this this weekend. Uh, do you have any reflections? Maybe you can share with the listeners who aren't familiar with that event what what that event is and sure, um, what your impressions are. I said, uh, as a veteran being involved in now on both sides, being a volunteer and being a reporter, um, it's an annual event that happens on Embassy Row, which is on um, Massachusetts Avenue West, Northwest. And you have the opportunity to visit houses of worship from the um, different world's religions. It usually starts in the afternoon with an opening ceremony at the Washington Hebrew Congregation to get everybody pumped up for the walk. And you have the opportunity to visit like different um, faith communities, learn about their traditions, the cultures, the food. Um, it's really a good opportunity. And then um, it goes down to the Islamic Center, where they usually have like the performances. Um, Mosaic Harmony was there, mm. gave a very awesome um, show with the gospel music. So it's been around for what this was the 13th annual of the walk so it's been around for a while and um it's pretty much a tradition that started from the 9-11 event as a way to counter a lot of the um i guess the prejudices that has taken place since that time um with religious minorities particularly the islamic community Mm -hmm. and did you feel like there was um any special uh, things that you experienced uh, this year that you'd, you'd like to share? Any highlights? Well, well, the interesting thing was the Unity Bike. I mean, being a veteran, so you okay. Kind what of is a Unity own. Bike? Um, they had a setup. I think it was about maybe six, seven people on this like red bike, and they had to they hmm. pedal it down to like the different um, houses of worship where they were scheduled to be, where people just sat in the bike, and they had these different like interfaith dialogue conversations. Uh-huh. Okay. So it was just something that was different this year that stood out, which okay. I thought was really cool. Neat. Mm-hmm. Neat. So mm-hmm. did you get to ride the bike yourself? I did not. I, I took pictures because <laughs> I was just running around and wanted to make sure I um, got coverage and getting perspectives from the attendees that were at the event. 
but I did um, stop by and just like, can I get some shots? And just kind <laughs> of just dashed on. But it was, I thought that was another good opportunity to do that. Something just different. Yeah. 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 So we, it sounds like we've got this balance of sometimes we have these, these annual events, which are really celebratory. Mm-hmm. And then um, throughout the year, hopefully these groups are also coming together and, mm-hmm. and, and rolling up their sleeves and doing the hard work like Allison's mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. making that difference in the, in the community on a local level. Yeah. This is Interfaith-ish, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM, where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and I'm joined today by my guest, Ms. Jacqueline Fuller, host of the local TV show Interfaith Connections and a member of Unity of Fairfax, and Reverend Allison Dunn Almaguer, an ordained Baptist minister, currently working as an organizer with the Washington Interfaith network. In the first half of our program, each of our dear guests answered some of my questions, but it wouldn't be fair for me to have all the fun. Now in the second half, as we do every episode, it's time for my guests to each ask each other some questions of their own. Anything that they've wanted to know about each other's story or traditions or experience, things they may have never asked, never known to ask, or just flat out misunderstood. On our show, we seek to model respectful interfaith dialogue while not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. So, with that, feel free to take it away, Allison and Jackie. So who gets to begin the question? (laughs) Why don't you start, Allison? (laughs) So, Jackie, one question I have for you is you've been doing this work for a really long time. I've seen some of your episodes, and they're really great on Interfaith Connections. Yeah, absolutely. And I I guess I'm curious, personally, what sustained you through doing this work, and what has sustained you? I am (laughs) (laughs) self-sustained. Beautiful. Um, It's interesting you mentioned that, because that's the whole big thing I'm working on now, is the transition of the program. I, I feel like after six years, it's like... Where should we go with the program now? And during and it happened during the fifth anniversary, which I didn't even realize had happened because I was just been doing it so long. It's a part of my life. Wow. And somebody said, "Hey, Jackie, you've been doing this for five years." I was like, "What? <laughs> you know, it's been that long." Mm-hmm. So um, I have people have come up to me over the years asking me about pitching the show, taking it to the next level, and what type of like network would you want a program like this to air so that's what I'm figuring out now so I have to go through the whole process of meeting with there's like people out here who help um, individuals who have TV show ideas or you know programming to cultivate your work to start pitching it to the network so that's where I am now and then there's the other case some people have asked me about doing podcasts and all these other things and I'm just like let me focus on the TV show first so it's been pretty much I've been doing this on my own um, it's been a challenge for me to get sponsorships mm. because sometimes of the faith component of it mm. and then at the same time I'm an independent producer and not like part of a nonprofit. so that's where the issue of not getting grants comes in but it's my calling, and I just always knew this is something that I wanted to do, and particularly like you we discussed earlier, that there isn't a lot of um, positive coverage that we see in the media about religion. So this was one avenue for me to start that work and just you know present it similar like to my family and friend and friends environment. It's informal. You don't have to come on the show to dress up. You just go and you just, you know, we have the casual conversations, the interviewing process, um, or we have performers who come on the show as well. Mm-hmm. And you just, you know, you share your work, you share your beliefs in a very informal and relaxed setting. And ironically, most of the people that come on my show are first timers in front of media. 
So it's very interesting um, to have also that dynamic and be a member of the Religion Communicators Council because that's what we do. We help um, people in, who are staff and who are doing communications work, you know, finesse their media um, presence. And particularly nowadays where communities are getting smaller, staff as, is a reflection of that. So you may have one person at a local faith community that's doing the administration work and the marketing and the mm -hmm. pitching and the outreach work. And that's, they come in there, they're like, this is not my job. This is not what I went to school to be trained for. So that's something we also help with connecting them to getting the type of resources they need yeah. to do their work. That's great. Mm -hmm. Jackie, do you have any questions for Allison? Well, it's, I do, because it's very interesting hearing the whole transition. Like, you come from the Southern Baptist um, tradition. You grew up in Texas, and then now you're in D.C. Was it a culture shock for you? I'm just curious to know that because I visit, I've been to Dallas and it was a major culture shock for me. I'm totally a city girl. So how how is that for the reverse? You coming from the South to, and DC kind of sort of is considered the South, but not <laughs> Texas South. So what is that like? Yes. Um, I did have family. They were like, you're going to go be a Yankee. And I said, well, technically this is below the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah. But <laughs> people didn't realize that. Yeah. You know, I think, um, so before coming to DC, I was in Durham for a while, which okay. I felt like was a culture shock even more than Dallas because it was a small town compared to growing up in mm. Dallas. Um, and I grew up in Dallas, Dallas, not a suburb. So it was a, it, you know, it felt like a city to me. Um, and, but it was definitely, definitely different. Um, I think I naturally though, really, I loved it. You know, it captivated me walking through when I first did an internship actually at Church of the Savior, um, six years ago or seven years ago, well, something seven years ago, uh, during seminary. And I fell in love with the city, um, then, um, just seeing, um, that was the first time I had really seen people of faith actually caring about bodies, you know, working in um, the shelter there, working with people who are homeless with HIV AIDS and seeing people of faith doing stuff. Uh, so I think that was probably a big component of why I, I love DCs. It was one of my first tangible experiences. Um, but it, it is it is different in Texas. I mean, talking about unions and talking about faith in such a different way is is something that I don't have the, you know, necessarily the same freedom to do at home yeah. and I enjoy that here and that's one of the things you know I I stayed Baptist I didn't mention this because uh, I joke with my friend who's an Episcopalian priest that I get the problems right we each have our own issues and our own traditions and denominations but I know the ones that I come from so so I get to push from the inside seeing a more progressive uh, stance of that but mm -hmm. yeah overall it's been a really good a good fit You've been listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been listening to a conversation with Reverend Allison Dunn Almaguer of Washington Interfaith Network and Interfaith Media Mogul, Jackie Fuller. <laughs> Aspiring to be, yes. <laughs> um, are there other, other questions, points about uh, each other's stories that uh, interested you? Had you ever heard about Unity before? So Allison? I was actually going to ask you. I had heard a bit about Unity Fairfax because I live in Northern Virginia. Okay. Um, but I didn't know much about it, and I wasn't sure if it was. Um, I I heard it was a great church that had you know a ton of people, and that it was a thriving spiritual center. 
uh, but I didn't know if, if it was different from universalism or Unitarianism or kind of where unity came from. So I am curious a bit about the history. You talked about the metaphysical piece of it and the kind of Christian science roots, but a hundred years ago. So the one thing that you did bring up um, was the publication. And I actually used that as a hospital chaplain mm -hmm. uh, when I did that work. Mm -hmm. I used it all the time and had no idea it was connected to unity. Just like you said, I used it every day with patients who were incarcerated and patients in the hospital and they loved it, um, but didn't know the connection. So well, it's, it's funny you mentioned, um, you know, that you're in Northern Virginia and you're familiar with the church. There is a Unitarian church down the street and people do get the two churches mixed mm. up. So people will come to unity thinking it's the Unitarian mm -hmm. church and vice and vice versa. But definitely you should come. They just in. chopped off a couple letters. Yeah, you should. Yeah, basically. You should check out. I'd love to. Check I'd it love out. To. They just built a labyrinth, labyrinth recently. So oh, wow. now we got we got more things to check out. So if you come in, you can't get out. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, it's a trap. <laughs> and we definitely, well, so another thing you could check out there, we also have a meditation garden. And oh, wow. I, we have a really good earth care team there. They're mm. really mindful about the things we do and the connection with the environment. So definitely check those out as well when you to. come um, to visit. So yeah, Unity is interesting because um, the movement was founded by um, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore. And I usually like to say it's more Myrtle because she, the, the Christian science piece comes in, she went to an e a, a session or an event and she was diagnosed with tuberculosis and they were saying mm. she didn't have long to live. And she um, basically learned like a line, which I consider was like a mantra she kept repeating, like that her body is not, you know, not sick and she's basically gonna heal from this disease. She did that for like two years and then was completely healed from it. Wow. And she passed away in her 80s. So like this whole thing where they realize that the power of words and your thoughts can heal your body just kind of transcends to this movement. They were meeting at people's homes, like study groups, mm -hmm. and it just expanded to um, what they have now in Unity Village out in Missouri. And then from there, the movement just kind of build up What from is that. Unity Village out in Missouri? That's like our headquarters, basically. Okay. It's okay. just like big, it's, it's talking about this really big, nice space, and huh. it's, it's the home, like, where they were from, and mm. they built this movement since then, and then they also have, um, their ministerial training is out there, okay. so that also ties into it. Um, they were, like, vegetarians as well, which I thought that was interesting, um, one of the fun facts, we as a movement, as a community, are not, but we do have vegetarians, but it was also interesting, the founders were vegetarians, mm. too. Um, and way back in the day too, when it wasn't so yeah, it wasn't yeah. yeah. So common. And mm -hmm. I wonder if that also ties in with kind of the Eastern traditions piece, mm -hmm. where you know vegetarianism is practiced a lot. Um, what else I can say about it's very interesting because I think about people who had connections with it some way along the line. Uh, like my understanding, Betty White has a connection with the Unity Church, or she may have been involved at some point in time. Golden Girls, Betty White? Golden Girls. Oh, okay. Because we kind of joke figure. and say, well, it, that explains like why she's like vibrant <laughs> in the way she is. It's like, yeah, there's got to be a Unity connection there. <laughs> um, and there's some other folks who, uh, I know Maya Angelou, before she passed away, was doing work or training within um, Unity. But a lot of people have been connected with the Daily Word publication. I remember reading an article by Denzel Washington who mentioned he reads it and Oprah Winfrey, mm. she read it and she had Maya Angelou on one of her programs talking about unity. So I thought that was really mm. interesting. But it's still at the same time, it's still not like, oh, massively well known um, 
spiritual community or spiritual movement. So I don't know how that's going to like transition with that in over the next maybe couple of decades. But I think especially now with things in the way they're happening in the world, that the message that Unity has to offer really needs to be out there, I think, much stronger. Not, no offense to the Daily Word. I think that's one avenue, but that's, it definitely can be on more mm -hmm. than that, which kind of reminds me what you talked about with your work doing a lot of the advocacy and social justice. I think Unity still struggles with it in some areas. I know mm -hmm. we're big on the environmental pieces I mentioned, mm -hmm. I think, like most faith communities are. and. Um, we have been supportive of um, same-sex marriage, um, definitely that. But I feel sometimes they still struggle with the race piece. So mm -hmm. that's still, I think, a work that um, needs to be done within Unity. How how does that, you know, come to be? Because it's nice to say, you know, we have a, we're the bi di diverse community. We have all these different people here. But my concern has been it's like a revolving door. So people who maybe like me, African-American, they may come and stay for a while, but then they transition out. And in a lot of cases, as um, I was reading in another publication, Truth Unity is the issue of why does like the successful African-American people who've been trained in unity or in new thought are successful elsewhere, hmm. or they form their own um, churches and spiritual communities. So I think sometimes we have to also do our own reflections and our own inner work to see what are we doing. Maybe it could be an unconscious bias, or maybe just something within the culture what we think is welcoming, but it's not. Hmm. And, I th and that, that's my third. I've been very open with that, so this is like yeah, no, nothing new for me. But I think people have to really be mindful of the things that's going on. And then there's another term I've heard in these spaces called like a spiritual bypassing, where people do, you know, they say all the lovely, nice, positive, you know, like I'll pray for you or love and light. They use these terms, but you're still kind of deflecting on some of the challenges you're having. Mm -hmm. So I think the key thing, I feel that if we come from a place of understanding, you know, what we're doing and start focusing on how can we be a solution to some of these problems we're having, I think it can make the movement advance and be a stronger movement. Hmm. Good message, but you still got to keep going. Mm -hmm. Elson, do you have any reflections on some of those issues coming from the Baptist tradition, how you've seen your community deal with some of these issues of whether race or, or just sounds like, sounds like being, be, really being there present and in community with, with mm -hmm. the people who are there? Yeah, I think talking about um, those are really interesting reflections, Jacqueline, so thanks for sharing. Mm -hmm. um, I think talking about Baptist uh, as a whole is really difficult just because there are so many distinct traditions within the Baptist <laughs> Baptist realm. Um, and I would say, uh, you know, as a progressive Baptist, um, not everyone would probably agree with the stance and the that I would take. Um, but that is one of the thing, reasons I stay as a Baptist is we're congregational, right? So each congregational kind of reflects, each congregation, excuse me, reflects the values of that congregation. Um, and they have the freedom and ability to, uh, you know, believe uh, the way they want to. Um, and, and so I would say, you know, the way our congregation works um, in Northern Virginia, my spouse is actually a pastor and I'm a volunteer pastoral associate there. I preach there every now and then and teach. Mm -hmm. One of the ways that we really take on the question of race and social justice, because we are a predominantly uh, white church, um, is we've, we've joined Voice, which is the affiliate of WIN in Northern Virginia. 
Um, and really the goal there is to be in relationship with mosques and synagogues, with churches of color. Um, and I believe that's the starting point, is being in relationship, being present, and teaching our congregation members to listen uh, from, you know, from the different perspectives. What are, you know, communities of color in Northern Virginia experiencing? Um, and getting into campaigns together. To me, you know, that's why I stick with organizing, is it, it is one way that changes the power dynamic, you know, beyond just the conversations. And I would say, you know, on our own, I'm not sure we could, we could do it, uh, but joining a larger coalition of people and saying, hey, we're going to be in relationship, we're going to learn to listen, and we're going to learn to make tangible change together um, has been one of the ways uh, that we've done that. You know, there's also in our, in our tradition something called uh, the New Baptist Covenant, uh, which uh, congregations in across the South uh, that are white and black in the same cities have kind of covenanted together to do uh, deep, uh, you know, race work, discussions of history. Uh, it's challenging, um, especially when you recognize the Southern Baptist Church in the South, you know, broke off because they were pro-slavery at the time. Um, so Baptist is a, is a really evolving, interesting tradition, but American Baptist broke off at the same time um, and is predominantly, you know, an African-American tradition um, because they were, you know, abolitionists. Um, and so Baptists have two strong ties of being abolitionists and not. So it's, again, a really complex history. Mm. Um, but having the conversations and naming that is the first step and then really working, I believe, you know, personally to be in relationship with people um, uh, across faith tradition, race and class, and, and actually work to make change is the way we do it. Um, and at least it's a first step. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. This is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and we've been talking with Reverend Allison dunn Almaguer of Washington Interfaith Network and Jackie Fuller of Unity of Fairfax. So actually, you um, teed up a, a, a piece that I wanted to ask you both about, since you both come from the wilds of Northern Virginia over there <laughs> across the way. Um, how how do you see interfaith work and, and organizing happening in your local communities where you both live? Allison, you um, work in D.C., but you live in Northern Virginia, mm -hmm. so you sort of have both perspectives. And obviously, Jackie, you um, cross the river probably many times during the day. So I'm, I'm curious, do you feel like in that in those pockets of Northern Virginia that you frequent that there is a different culture there than in the city? Oh, definitely. For sure. For sure. Um, I grew up in D.C., by the way. Born in New York, grew up in D.C. Um, I definitely see from the D.C. perspective, I think the organizing is much stronger. Mm -hmm. The advocacy is much stronger. Um, even when you think of the interfaith, maybe dialogue. There's more dialogue, I feel like. I mean, it happened in D.C., but I think Virginia has more of the dialogue, where mm. I feel like D.C. has more of the advocacy and the action. And even though there is a presence in Northern Virginia, um, I was involved with the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy for a while. Okay. And they have an awesome executive director now, Kim Bobo, who you mm. should definitely meet. Um, and I like that she did come on board, and they're doing a lot of work around immigration and Medicare. Mm -hmm. um, they also did work around um, wage theft. And there's another organization called SALT, um, Social Action Linking Together. Mm -hmm. I had their um, coordinator on my um, program, and they were doing a lot of good things around um, solitary confinement. And I think there's another one. What was it Band the Box? Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff around in that space, which I thought was interesting. So you have, like, those kind of, like, smaller pockets, even though those are, like, big issues. Um, I think some communities... 
because you also also look at the issue of social economics between Virginia and Maryland, and you also have to look at the race dynamics between Virginia and Maryland. I think in D.C., I think um, definitely I know in Northern Virginia that the immigration thing comes up a lot. That's a big thing. Um, I feel like D.C. has more of the mix of everything, particularly I think the race thing also stands out more in D.C. Mm-hmm. So how do you, it's like for me, I'm navigating in each of those different areas. And then now in the media role, I'm covering in those different areas where I will see a community like the Unitarians or I'll say the UUs, they're very strong in that social, you know, they're working that social justice component doing that versus maybe other communities are not really entrenched in it. Like Unity, at my particular Unity Church, they just really formed a social justice group recently because there was just so much happening in that space and they're trying to figure out now what issues they're really going to um, tackle on in this space versus maybe some of the communities in D.C. who's been doing this probably since the civil rights era. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. have like all those different dynamics. Um, but I look at Northern Virginia, it seems like the immigration thing is always a big mm. thing that comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Allison, do you have any reflections on that? I do. So I would say the the one way that I have been engaged is through Voice, because mm-hmm. our congregation has joined, which is Virginians Organized for Interfaith Community Engagement, a, another part of the IAF. It is a crazy, radical, different world, I would say. I would agree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, DC is so organized. There are so many uh, organizations who've been around for years mm-hmm. and have been deeply involved in the transitions of the city and working you know, from... Mm-hmm. Uh, all different people trying to stop displacement, trying Mm -hmm. to um, make sure that residents have uh, a voice. And Northern Virginia seems like the Wild West in many ways. Um, But I do, you know, the voice was started about 10 years ago, um, and it has been really neat to see the way um, that it has kind of repoliticized a community. So our IAF is really, we are strictly and very much political, uh, but we're nonpartisan and deeply Mm -hmm. nonpartisan. Um, And the goal um, is is to reteach democracy in our congregations. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons that I do this work is we're reteaching how to have uh, conversations across race, class, and religion, and how to have conversations across party lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so on Sunday, actually, I was just checking um, the date and time. We're having a big thousand-person action uh, with the governor um, and with the attorney general um, in Northern Virginia. Um, and, and gathering people from our mosques, our synagogues and our unions and our churches. And it is, it is, it is really, um, coming together around immigration, um, around cash bails. They've been doing criminal justice work and, you know, doing a, they've been doing a ton of listening sessions the past couple of years to identify what are the issues unique to Northern Virginia, mm-hmm. um, and what do people want to work on? Um, so I, I do believe it's, it's not as prevalent, but it is happening. Um, and I think it's almost, um, it, allows more creativity to happen uh, because it's newer and there are new leaders being raised up. Can you um, tell us a little bit about where folks can find out about your uh, good works? Any events uh, other than the one that you mentioned that um, if people want to find out about when, get involved with Washington Interfaith Network? Absolutely. So our website, just Washington Interfaith Network, um, you can type that in Google, um, and it, it'll be the first thing that pops up. Um, and that is a great way to get involved. Um, and just also the Industrial Areas Foundation. We have uh, the Metro IAF, which is our regional affiliate. We have um, affiliates from all the way in Maryland down to Northern Virginia. So, Excellent. Uh, Jacqueline Fuller, sure, ways I mean, to find your 
find works. me. Um, you can definitely check out the um, TV program at interfaithconnections.com, and we're also on YouTube. And for more information about the Religion Communicators Council, the address is religioncommunicators.org and Unity of Fairfax, which is unityoffairfax.org. Excellent. And if I can, can yeah. I make a pitch for Sunday? Please. I was looking up the address. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go so for it. So it is it um, at Sunday, uh, the 21st, from 4 to 6 p.m. at Fairfax High School. Um, so Governor Northam and the Virginia Attorney General Herring will be there, and they'll be making an important announcement about criminal justice reform. Um, so that is this Sunday, and you know, an exciting opportunity to see ways that people are organizing on the ground in Northern Virginia. Terrific. Terrific. Well, thank you both for joining us this morning. Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. We've been joined today by Reverend Allison Dunn Almaguer of Washington Interfaith Network and, as I said before, Interfaith media mogul Jacqueline Fuller. Thank you both for being part of our show today. Um, I want to shout out my fellow Interfaith Istronauts, Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller. And as always, a special thanks to Jeff Philosopher for all the great music. Um, oh, and I want to sh send a shout out to my sister Jessica, who's getting married this weekend. Yay. Congrats nice. to her and her fiance, Mark. We're looking forward to being with them in Atlanta. And I'm helping to officiate, so yikes. Wow. That's <laughs> exciting. That'd be great. Pray for them, but also pray for me. <laughs> um, and of course, thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. You can find all of our previous episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud. Even if you miss us live here on Tacoma Radio, we can still find you. So subscribe, and each new Interfaith-ish episode will pop up right in your feed. Our, our previous episode was a great conversation about the Baha'i and Sikh traditions that Sue hosted while I was out of town, so I appreciate that. It's a great episode, and you definitely want to check that out. And be sure to leave us a rating or a review. We're all equal in the sight of God, but sadly not on iTunes. So click those five stars to get <laughs> us into the algorithmic good place and more folks will find out about our show. And as always, if there's interfaith-ish you wish to dish, you can write us an email at interfaith-ish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Remember to support the station with your monthly contribution. And everyone at WOWD 94.3 FM will do our part to keep you informed and entertained with great music and programs seven days a week. Streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.